Ha 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 I'll try an experiment today to introduce episode 12 of 26.1 AI podcast. Normally, we record our intros in a rush before beginning our conversation with a guest. This is the first time I'll revisit the episode and record the intro post-interview. Hopefully, this can become an enhancement for our listeners by providing a glimpse of what we cover during the episode. We welcome Michael Augustine for this week's episode. He previously founded Game Salad, a startup that allowed anyone to develop video games using a visual programming interface. For Game Salad, Michael raised $25 million in capital, and investors included impressive organizations like Disney. Currently, Michael is advancing optical AI with current startup Curie. Recently, he finished with the latest batch of 500 startups. Curie offers retailers mobile users' cameras as a new channel. Might sound strange, but today I believe you'll listen to our first guest who's truly predictive. Though practitioners of AI inherently are trying to predict rather than react, because of cognitive biases and concepts highlighted by Tversky and Kahneman in their article, Judgment Under Uncertainty, Biases and heuristics, people are biologically geared for reaction, not prediction. Today, Michael provides us our first truly futurist episode. He shares with us optimism that Apple will catch up in AI, takes us through the benefits of AI on chip, and shares with us that better algorithms will catch up to those who hold a huge data advantage. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Michael, we had a chance to try to record before and we're, we're taking another round at it. And uh, just a real quick update. What have you been up to lately? I've been working on a company called Curie, uh, which is doing computer vision for retail. Essentially, what we're doing is we're creating a camera AI assistant uh, that could be used uh, for the over 2 million smartphones uh, cameras to uh, for shoppers to look up information about different types of products um, and uh, be able to make decisions on the fly uh, about uh, whether or not they purchase. So, Michael, AR has been promised to be a solution for many different kind of problems. Um, there are some communities that have famously raised, um, I think, billions and have yet to really um, deliver on that promise. Do you think we're ready for AR now? Um, yeah, other than the fact that, you know, 2020 is the perfect pun for something visually related. <laughs> um, I think that uh, we're at a point to where we're hitting, you know, five nanometer in chip size, uh, which will leave a lot more room for, for batteries. Uh, if you think about the latest AirPod Pros or AirPods Pro, uh, you know, that chip is about as powerful as the first iPhones, if not more. Um, and it uh, wouldn't be unheard of to start, you know, putting other sensors like cameras or radio on it. Um, I think that uh, with uh, 5G, uh, that'll make it a lot easier uh, to send data back and forth, as well as transport different types of models on the fly. Uh, so we'll start to see uh, more of that on the edge. Um, 
not just in cars, uh, but in uh, devices like your phone or, or uh, a wearable. Um, so I think that a lot of dynamics are getting to a point where, you know, battery life uh, is is starting to become um, more palatable because chip sizes are decreasing in size and the amount of connectivity that's occurring uh, through, you know, 5G and, and Starlink would enable um a greater range of the type of information that we can pass back and forth uh, between um, sort of a spatial environment and a, uh, and a digital one. So what is the challenges that prevent this besides the hardware and the network speed? Is there any aspect of the actual technology regarding the software or the, the machine learning that's a limiting factor or enabling factor? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, neural networks uh, uh, would run on a form of uh, GPU, Apple calls it uh, sort of its bionic aspect of the chip. Um, uh, I think that might uh, induce a bit of heat or energy usage. And so those are things that uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, device manufacturers are, are looking to optimize. On the software side, I think that um, you know AI is starting to go from something that's science fiction to uh, practical use cases uh, that uh, we can start um, being able to communicate to uh, folks that are our buyers um, on how that would be useful um, to help optimize everything from uh, you know sales to uh, uh, you know, supply chain, um, customer service. Uh, so I think that uh, the use cases are starting to become more well understood uh, and the demand uh, will increase. Um, I think the one way to think about AI is that, uh, you know, the way that we used to think of software uh, automating uh, rote tasks uh, AI can do that on a um, more uh, uh, granular and um, and scalable level, uh, just because you don't actually have to write software for each edge case. Uh, that if you have enough data or the right algorithms, you'd be able to um, uh, be able to match uh, certain types of examples uh, at scale without having to to write all that software. And so that's sort of the appeal of, of being able to, to use uh, this type of technology. Can, I mean, can you help me find my wallet? Because I, I literally left my wallet at home today and I, it has not suffered at all. I walk to the train and use my phone to get on the train and then I go to Amazon Go and I picked up both my breakfast and lunch there. And it seems like the world's really rapidly changing. I would normally have to run back and get my wallet. Um, is that AI? Is that AI shopping at um, Amazon Go, I'm not even needing to sh check out, and I just put stuff in my bag and I leave? I feel like I'm stealing something, by the way. And also, what's going on with China and their camera system? Is this really as scary as it sounds to us? Uh, yeah. So to address the first question, um, uh, you know, computer vision is able to 
sort of differentiate between different types of uh, you know people and objects to a point to where uh, you no longer have to you know scan a barcode uh, for checkout. Um, you are the barcode effectively, uh, and the products on the shelves uh, uh, in addition. And so um, I think that uh, that's one way to to do it. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how expensive it might be uh, to retrofit uh, every store in an Amazon Go type manner. Um, but, uh, you know, in China, they've found a, a much cheaper way to do it uh, via markers uh, called QR codes, which stands for quick response. Uh, it was originally used in manufacturing and has made its way into commerce, um, mostly because of the lack of credit cards uh, the inability um, to understand uh, or for consumers there to understand, um, uh, you know, Western type characters and language. Uh, and also the fact that in rural areas, um, many uh, uh, individuals went unbanked. Um, and so those types of trends have led to the QR uh, being adopted as a form of URL uh, for, uh, different types of situations. And then combined with mobile, you can start attaching that to individuals, credit cards, uh, bank accounts, uh, and, um, and location and which has made it very ideal for different types of stores, uh, to run in a sort of earlier types of use case, uh, for what Jack Ma calls new retail. Um, you have like Hema stores, uh, sort of JD stores that are set up like Ikea, uh, as well as sort of precursors to Amazon Go stores where, you know, one person can go into a prefab, uh, you know, store, um, so like 7-Eleven, uh, one at a time and, and you know, check out whatever they want to um, as long as you have your mobile device. So just to clarify for our listeners, I think we should point out that the Amazon Go system is um, keyed optically. I don't know if everybody knows that. I know when you shared that with me, Michael, um, I was surprised. Um, but continuing on with China, so Kai-Fu Lee, who um, wrote the book, I think it was AI Superpowers, he's asserting that China will win in the war for AI supremacy. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that at all? Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of yes and no. Uh, so, um, you know, obviously that if you have more data set, such as more people and more behaviors set around data, uh, like new retail and WeChat and the fact that, you know, most of your business is done through a single app, um, that, would enable you, you know, more training set. Um, and with the addition of the fact that, you know, there is a bit less concern amongst the populace um, about, you know, certain types of privacy and freedom, uh, as well as the push for governments to get involved, um, that uh, it makes it ideal for uh, AI um, to progress uh, under those uh, circumstances. But at the same time, it's a question of algorithms. Um, if you, there are more and better algorithms that are learning to uh, understand the world 
in a way that humans do uh, that don't require as much um, data set. So for example, uh, if you showed a, uh, the way that you would train an AI today might be showing them, you know, a million photos of cats. And then if you were to go to a kid and say, hey, um, here's three photos of cats. Can you identify a cat? Uh, um, you, you would expect uh, the, um, the child to understand. Uh, if you were to show a million pictures of cat cats to uh, that individual then, and they still don't get it, uh, then there might be an issue. So I think that um, the nature of algorithms are changing. And it's a question of whether or not enough of the knowledge economy has shifted over to China um, or whether or not uh, much of the innovations are still happening in the United States where uh, those newer algorithms could potentially trump uh, older methods of data collection. Sure. And I'd like to go back to your mentions of Apple. I'm interpreting you as saying Apple probably has an edge for AI on chip. Um, however, some of the practitioners at Apple or, or what I've heard through the grapevine is Apple is very famously locked down for privacy. So even though they have this hardware advantage, um, they have some difficulty because of what you brought up with the China example. They have a lot of data yeah. and they have more access to it. Yeah. You have any thoughts on that with Apple and what their challenges are going to be as they are really trying to catch up, I think? Um, yeah. So uh, Apple has uh, two types of innovation that it's going for it. Uh, one is miniaturization. Um, you know, they're one of the first to deploy five nanometer, which um, could potentially leave more room for the battery, uh, as well as, uh, you know, faster compute. Um, and they're also uh, investing a lot in Coromel, uh, which enables uh, AI to run and be trained uh, on device. Um, and so with these sort of edge-based technologies, you're able to kind of keep uh, a certain level of intelligence uh, and uh, performance without having to give up on privacy necessarily because no human is looking at it. Um, the information stays on one's device. Um, uh, and, you know, as I said, with newer algorithms, they could potentially overcome the fact that you need lots of data uh, in order to um, uh, train these types of AI. Uh, you know, that said, I, you know, they're, part of it is, is kind of positioning. Um, you know, uh, you, one could say that uh, they're trying to turn their weakness into a talking point. Um, you know, Apple doesn't have a lot of interest in uh, advertisement and therefore doesn't um, keep a lot of information to better target individuals. And so its business depends a lot less on having information on the cloud than say Facebook, Amazon, or Google. And so uh, because of that, they're trying, you know, one could also say that they're trying to turn a form of weakness uh, and something that they may not be as adept at uh, in terms of data set um, into a strength. Um, because I, I think that, um, you know, ergonomics and politics 
can potentially uh, trump technology. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult to sort of change human behavior uh, and how humans uh, interact with technology. Um, and Apple has a strength in terms of keeping and mindshare, uh, being able to design technologies that fit the human body a bit better and is more comfortable over time uh, and fit within one's life. Uh, and by controlling the... Um, you know, having the ear of, say, the president or uh, other um, uh, news sectors on being uh, uh, a um, champion of certain types of issues, uh, they're able to uh, keep their their brand in high regard um, when it comes to decision making of uh, uh, of individual shoppers. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't help but ask about your daily life, your personal daily life. I vision you being completely surrounded by IOT devices and highly entrenched and, you know, with a Fitbit. And by the way, that was just purchased by Google last week. What is your daily life like? Is it really like that? Or are you uh, different from what it seems? Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I am one of those uh, types that would actually prefer there'd be a lot less technology. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, my girlfriend does uh, use a Fitbit uh, and she does track pretty regularly. Um, and I, I think it's more of a, the gamification side that intrigues her about it. Uh, you know, it is of concern that that data could be potentially misused um, for, you know, targeting individuals um, uh, that have certain like eating uh, or behavioral habits, um, but uh, I, you know, I, I imagine that technology um, could potentially become more invisible. Um, almost think of uh, like Thor, or how you know, if an uh, if a human from the future would show something of the past, uh, someone in the past, like a piece of technology, they would think of it as magic. Um, I. You know, I like the idea of ambient or invisible computing, the fact that you would wear less technology uh, and, it, and it's less in your way. Um, and, uh, you know, just like in, in Thor, you almost can kind of consider him a futuristic Iron Man where there's te there is technology. It's just that it's not something that you have to think about or it's in your face or uh, it's ergonomic enough that... Um, you know, there's not as many like sensors or UI uh, that gets in your way. You just use it uh, intentfully. So um, I kind of see technology moving more in that direction uh, in order to reach more individuals where you don't really think about using it. You just do. Uh, information is and services potentially could be more serendipitous um, and uh, that uh, the need to, you know, surround yourself with all different types of technology could potentially go away um, with better sensors uh, like Soli, where uh, it doesn't need a direct line of sight um, or uh, a direct uh, uh, access to, to vocal commands in order to be used. Um, it could just fit in your pocket or somewhere invisible and you would just be able to start uh, using it and, um, perform services just like you would, you know, doc, you know, Dr. Strange would 
call from particular spell. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if uh, that type of technology will be uh, more um, appealing uh, to people, or if or if we'll just go more towards uh, a blend of uh, uh, I don't know, like cyborgism of where that other aspect would become more acceptable to society. Michael, your storyteller motif uh, is a good segue into what you've been busy with. Um, Curry post 500 startups is uh, finishing out your uh, fundraising round. And you're telling a story about Curie AR and AI to investors. And I'm curious in terms of how fluent those investors are when you're explaining what you're doing in the state of AI. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, in terms of anyone that's involved in finance, uh, you know, they they understand, uh, you know, numbers um, and the dynamics of a certain type of sort of operations. Um, so, I, but I don't know if, I can't speak for other people in terms of what they know in terms of, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, and, and technology. Um, so I think that the way, uh, one has to look to communicate or one of the benefits, you know, what are some concrete examples of how it can be, um, how these technologies can be used and, uh, you know, what, what benefits, uh, there are opportunities uh, in terms of how this is different than what's before. Um, so, for for example, with with Curie, uh, we're looking to make uh, the world shoppable, um, and I think the the big idea behind us is that um, if you can see it, then you can interact with it, um, and that's the promise of computer vision. So uh, by, by looking at uh, different types of um, devices that are coming out, that leaves more opportunity uh, to connect uh, companies, brands, services, and commerce uh, to consumers uh, and users uh, at an unprecedented level. Um, you can almost think of it as, uh, you know, Google Maps, um, street maps, uh, cameras being sent through uh, individual spaces um, and being able to uh, take that information and turn it into something that is interactable and usable. Um, so there's been different types of terms that have been used to try to describe this new type of interface. Um, I think one of my favorites is, is spatial because uh, it uh, harks back to the idea of geospatial. Um, but I think that's a promise that, you know, if you look at how we went from, you know, punch cards to command line and then command line to the graphical user interface to GUIs to touch, and then now you're, you have the ability to kind of leave the screen, Um that is a whole new type of world that uh, might be unfamiliar to folks that live outside sort of science fiction. Um, 
and you know having access to you know a few OEMs, one could potentially disrupt uh, all sorts of businesses that require traditional real estate or space. So advertising and uh, retail uh, and things that require uh, people to be in certain places to be able to communicate an idea uh, could potentially just be disrupted um, because now anything can be present anywhere at any time on any product or person uh, with any information service um, or, um, uh, you know, or transaction um, uh, taking place uh, in between. So I think that um, right now we kind of think as augmented reality as a, uh, a form of visualization where oh, I can put one object onto another, um, but you're just sort of discounting how we use the web uh, for all sorts of informational and transactional purposes that could now be applied. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited for uh, the opportunities that uh, the prevalence of these types of sensors will um, be able to uh, uh, bring to society and how that would potentially change um, the way we think about uh, access of, of information uh, when we're on the go. That's, you know, this has been fantastic, and I'm so glad we got back together to record again because the first one was a bit of a technology disaster. Um, any closing remarks or anything you want to leave the audience with? R write checks for Curie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I think what uh, brought my previous startup uh, a bit of success was being at the knee of a, the curve to a platform shift. Um, so I'm excited about, uh, the platform shift that is coming. Um, we've been waiting for this opportunity since almost 2007 when the first iPhone came out. Uh, and I, I think that it's going to, to lead to all new types of businesses and startups, um, that will be as new and as interesting as what, uh, Uber was to Expedia.